Welcome to the Scottish Liberty Podcast, and you are listening to episode 159. Don't be confused when you're hearing the soft and sultry sounds of a Southern lady. You're in the right place. So I'm here co-hosting with Mr. Anthony Samaroff. This is Sherry Voluntary, in case you don't know. <laughs> co-pilot. Earth calling pilots co-pilot. So we have an extra special show for them, don't we, Sherry? Of course. It's always extra special, special when I'm here. <laughs> okay. <But> I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I meant largely in reference. So oh, conce- you mean so the guests? Conceited. Oh yeah, the guests. <laughs> we almost forgot about the guests. <laughs> you guys just take it away. <laughs> we have a very special guest. Special. He uh, so special indeed that I needed a a, a stunning co-host to um, meet his special needs. <laughs> in order for, Controversial. In, in order you make for, me sound like. Like the like caregiver of a special yeah. needs child. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I didn't say anything. I I left it subtle in order for people to make their own judgment. I didn't like uh, slap people in the face with the uh, comic undertones. Well, you guys can just keep on calling out my humor for the rest of the show and explain away <laughs> my jokes. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Samroff, the fantastic Jono, half, um, half of the the. I like. I don't even know how to genreify your studio-based electronic music. It's dub reggae or, production duo. The dub reggae production duo Zanza. Um, and also, you've got. Have you got? You've got quite a lot of your own solo music on the internet as well. Where can people find that? On the interweb, um, go to me and my guitar.com. Most of the links are on there or search for like, you know, my popular, most popular song, Still Stuck in the City. Search for oh, John yeah. Stuck in the City and Spotify or iTunes or whatever. You'll find me if you need to. Yeah. And I've been doing this show for, I don't know, like four years or something like that. And it's crazy that I've not had my brother on the show till now. We've, we've got multiple excuses both to have him on the show and for not having had him on the show so far. <laughs> um, but most recently, well, Sherry, you, you, you take it away with the first question. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I guess the name of the song that you did uh, is, tell me again, I forget. I forgot to Repentance it. song. Repentance, Repentance song, yes. Song. And, so and can you I just did preface that? that? That's with the, that was in Zanza. It was in collaboration with uh, Lee Scratch Perry, the godfather of dub music. Right. That was the big news. Because we didn't say that at the beginning. But that's yeah, and, and I, he's I was like building a up big to deal. It. Yeah, he is a big deal. Like, <sighs> basically, he is like underground, one of these underground people who changed the course of music history. People know if you talk about Elvis Presley or the Beatles or Michael Jackson, these people change music history, but people don't realize that Lee Scratch Perry changed music history just as much as any of these people did mm-hmm. because he's a, he's a bit of an unsung hero. He's known in, in his niche, um, but he, you know, phenomenal. Right, he's so, like the Quincy uh, Jones of reggae, right? <laughs> Dubstep. Absolutely, absolutely. So can you unpack that a little bit? Can you tell us how Lee Scratch Perry changed the course of history? Well, he was credited with a few things, including he was the first person to change uh, the mixing desk. As far as we know, the first person to change the mixing desk into an instrument. So if you've got your guitars and microphones and whatever instruments they are plugged into your mixing desk, you can start adding effects on that mixing desk. Um, traditionally speaking, people would just like set those effects and their, their graphic EQ or whatever EQ they've got and they just leave it static. But Lee Scratch Perry started playing around with those. So you could record your songs, you could then send out each of the individual channels to your mixing desk and re-record those into your, your tape spools. But in that process, he would be playing around with the effects and equalizers and just create these completely new ways of using delays and reverbs and filters, which is a form of equalization. And so 
any of the dance music, for example, that you listen to today, or any of the popular music that's incorporated elements of electronic music, where they're using echoes and reverbs in funny ways, that all came from Lee Scratch Perry. I guess it really goes to show the, the compilation or the collaboration of um, the producer and the artist. And it, it really is its own art form, music production. Like, like you're talking about, the dubstep, it's, it's a whole it's other dub, thing. Sorry. It's dub, it's not dubstep. Dubs, yeah, right, not dubstep, sorry. So, yeah, no, I, I, people get confused. It's funny, people don't, um, I was writing to some bloggers to see if I could get some reviews and I said it's dub music and I guess some of the young bloggers said, no, it's not, it's just like slow reggae. And like <laughs> slow reggae is dub music. They right. thought it was maybe dubstep, but no, I should I should point out in, play, in case some other listeners are uh, are are, are uh, wondering what the difference is. That's yeah. right. Yeah, well, dub's we, a lot older than dubstep. <laughs> right. We we mean to provide an educational show here. We do. So <laughs> we're definitely receiving that. Okay. Uh, when did you start that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, do you know what? After like tuning into Postcard Somalia from Somalia with you, I felt like the average IQ of the libertarian community was rapidly falling, and I had to yeah. somehow compensate. <laughs> We're giving the market what they want or what they Excellent. need, whether regardless of whether they want it. You're much more astute than me. If I had that idea, then we might have um, more subscribers. So, um. Yeah, I guess um, one of the things I want to ask you is, what do you think makes a really great tune? Like, what makes a good song? I'm not the best person to ask. In your because, opinion? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what really draws you to a song? Let's say it, 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 it's not necessarily one thing. It'll be, it can be a particular element. I mean, there's obviously special songs where the individual elements come together in such an incredible way. And a lot of times there's never ever a song like that again. Um, but I find it very difficult to have a conversation with someone if there's music playing in the background. Oh, wow. Because I literally am dissecting everything. So... I'm listening to, I'm trying to have a conversation with you, either of you or both of you. If there was music on in the background, my, my, my mind would be going, oh, those drums now, I can, let me just, what space was that recorded in? And how close were the microphones to the drums? And uh, the very, very last thing I listen to is the lyrics. I can listen to a song over and over again and not even be able what to tell you what any of the lyrics are because it's just my, my way the way my mind works I, I like to deconstruct music because if I deconstruct it then I can start figuring out how to construct it when I'm doing something myself amazing I should just mention for everyone like Jonathan's a multi multi instrumentalist um guitar bass drums keyboards but in addition to that Oh, the audio's gone dead. Lost. We lost you, Anthony. We've lost your audio, Anthony. No, he can't hear us either. <laughs> He's just going and going. Just, let's wave <laughs> at him. <laughs> Sherry, let's, I want to talk to you. Because <laughs> we can't hear Anthony at all. Yeah, let's yeah, keep, let's keep conversation. him out of conversation. I love that. <laughs> So, so yeah. while he's fixing that, I do have a question for you. Um, so that, what do you think, do, or do you think that the influence of reggae has been underestimated in pop music? Because I mean, you hear like with the police, um, uh, the clash, uh, say, and, uh, say Paul Simon, even like a lot of different people have, uh, really taken on a reggae sound uh, a lot of times, but I don't think people really understand the, the huge impact that reggae had on, popular popular music it's been enormous i mean again the clash um got into reggae because lee scratch perry started producing them but um everyone's heard of bob marley as well you know yeah of course um, <laughs> everyone's heard of bob marley everyone's heard of the police everyone i think has heard of um ub40 were they big in the states as well they had that red red wine hit right? here but i don't i had that cassette but i don't think they were very big after that so there's a few artists on the surface there that are very well known but everyone else is kind of niche 
in terms of how reggae has influenced um, other music, do you ever play, have you ever played any musical instruments, Sherry? I have. I used to play the clarinet oh, yeah. and the alto sax. <laughs> oh, wait. I've and I've, I've picked around on the guitar sax. a little bit, but. Oh, nice. But you know what an offbeat is then? Because in reggae, it's mm, chick, chick, mm, chick, yes. chick. So the, the, the accent was always on the offbeat, and that's basically what reggae did. And now in um, EDM music, you might have all this offbeat stuff is happening. Um, I guess it's branched out into so many different genres. That's just one example that came into my, my head. Ska yeah. you know, kind of started merging with rock, and there's all mm. sorts of gray areas between these different genres. Right. And is, yeah. it, is Ska a precursor to reggae? No, Ska or came after. So came reggae came reggae. first, then dub. And then when these, um, basically, you know, Bob Marley's got this song called Punky Reggae Party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was because the Rastas and the punks had this affinity for freedom. You know, they didn't want government control. They wanted people to be free. So the Rastas and the punks started hanging out. And um, after the punks and Rastas started hanging out, um, Ska, I think, as far as I know, emerged from, from those okay. kind of environments. Yeah, Scott. I th Scott was really big here, like when the Mighty Body Boss tones and oh, all yeah. those types. You know. um, so you, you mentioned the the freedom aspect of it, and I guess Anthony's not with us still. He's still Can we hear you? Oh, oh, are yeah. you there? He is there. Okay, sorry. I, I don't. I I'll let you ask him. your next question then. I didn't want to. Go, go ahead. I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying. Anthony, <laughs> can you turn your microphone up though? Yeah, we'll see about. We'll see if that's possible. Sorry, I had a unpredicted technical disaster does is that better or is that exactly yeah, the that's same better okay yeah. okay it's better i don't know i'm kind of like having a hard time concentrating with the two samaroff boys with me and like the all the scottish accent coming my way is oh it's like a yeah. wall of intensity there so anyway. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've, you've got us in stereo sherry i know i know stereo with samaroff Wow. Anyways, it's this is like the Scottish Liber Liberty podcast with more hair today. I just want to say. <laughs> Anyways, um, so the freedom aspects of that, with, with along with punk and sort of anti-establishment. Absolutely. Um, a lot of a lot of rock music has that sort of. I know metal, which is something I really like. Is there's a lot of really anti-authoritarianism uh, in that. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that musicians and artists in general are drawn to sort of the anti-authoritarian ideals? Do you know something? You're reminding me of something I really hate, Sherry. When I'm talking to people, mm -mm. I'm putting my uh -oh. point across, and they say. Musicians should sh should stay out of politics. Right. Oh. This is a new idea that's emerged over the last kind of 10 years, 15 mm. years. And it came out with the news broadcast and the skeptics. This is completely wrong. It is the obligation. That's maybe a bit of a strong word. It's an obligation of creative thinkers to pitch in about politics because they come at it from a completely different angle. They might come at it from different angles to each other, but they come at it at a different angle from the government and government shills and your standard news broadcasters. We're, we're only getting a very one dimensional view of what's going on on terrestrial media. Um, and more and more, it's, it's the opposite way around. Um, Creative thinkers, creative people need, need a sense of freedom to express themselves and uh, to put into their art forms. And if you, you know, if you try and restrict that in any way, you know, creative people are going to feel that. Yeah, it's like a stifling of, of that creative instinct. I, I know as an artist myself, not necessarily a musical one, but um, that I think you you in order to see the world in that way to create art you see it a little differently and so it's sort of like you said not really obligation isn't the correct word but um there definitely is a an idea of looking at culture and the society in which you live in a little more critically than maybe others in that 
society. So I think, I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of people feel like certain artists gave them a voice, you know, whether it's like Bob Dylan or Rage Against the Machine or something like that. When Whatever it was that was being expressed, people felt like... Um, something was being said on their behalf that they could mm. get behind, you know, going into the reggae, the Bob Marley, sta get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. And uh, of course, Redemption mm. Song, which is quite nice because uh, it ties quite nicely into Repentance Song. And I, I was wondering, I guess myself, if that was part of the reason that you called it Repentance Song, because it does put us you know, it fits quite nicely next to, next to it on the record shelf. Oh, nice one. Well, yeah, I mean, basically we had this opportunity to work with Lee and it came through our uh, Eugene and I's mutual friend called Marco. It was Marco's idea to call it Repentance Song. We basically, after Lee had done the lyrics, he was, uh, he'd said repent a lot and Marco thought it'd be a great idea to call it Repentance Song. So we, we both agreed with that and, um, we also felt that, as I've, as I've already said, Lee was a bit of an unsung hero. Um, he's still going. He's 84. He's uh, itching to get back out and gigging. Um, but he's in Jamaica just now. Um, and, you know. But anyway, that's an aside. Where was I going? Remind me where we were going. With the title of the song. Yeah, we, we thought Lee should have a repentance song. Okay. Um, to match Bob Marley's redemption song. Um, we would have, I mean, it's it's performed so, so well amongst his fan base. Okay. Especially the video. Um, it's not really broke out of that. We would have loved, not just for, for selfish reasons, but for for the reasons that, that, that Lee was um, the one of these original characters for it to have, have um, broken outside of that bubble and, and got garnished him with a bit bit more of the attention that we thought he deserved because um, a lot of people don't know that Lee um, recorded Bob's very first demos and sent them out to, to labels. There was a bit of a disagreement between Lee and Bob about that because Lee didn't have Bob's permission to send these demos out to the labels. But as a result of that, you know, everyone's heard of Bob Marley. Um, so anyway, um, I'm kind of getting into a wee bit of fog here. The point is, we wanted to try and help do something special for Lee. Mm -hmm. um, the results have been great. And um, maybe one day, Repentance Song will, will be as well known as Redemption Song. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly hope so. Certainly, I, um, I hope everyone that's listening will go type it into YouTube and have a quick watch because you spent freaking ages making this video which uh, yes. people like um, as well as being a multi-instrumentalist sound engineer and producer as if that isn't enough um jonathan's really really good with um video editing and things like that and he he put a really cool vid music video together so you did a, f a show with my friends nick picone and i did yep. upload that to scott to the scottish liberty oh, podcast newsfeed so so people can go back and listen to that as well if they've not already but many people listening will have already um but so so we don't leave it, anything untouched maybe you'll want to say a little bit about how this opportunity came together and uh, recording the mu music video and then uh, we'll maybe dive into some other topics as well okay that's a long story i'll try and basically our friend Marco um, has been working, uh, living half a year in Bamako in Mali, which is in Africa, for those that don't know. Um, Bamako is the cap capital of Mali. And uh, before, I guess, terrorists turned up a few years ago, uh, although he thinks that was about precious stones, but that's an aside for now. Um, Bamako was really thriving music community. Um, they're suffering at the moment from al-qaeda and they're not really worried about covid but the tourism's going down anyway marco had recorded this amazing african reggae drummer and he came came to scotland with with these beats and he told eugene and i that he'd made managed to make contact with uh, lee's manager and because he was doing this work in africa 
um, Lee was interested in, in collaborating on some track if we got some track to him. So Marco came came with a drum beat. Eugene and I uh, laid down the rest of the instrumentation. Marco did put in some rhythm and some lead guitar. Um, so we put the track together. And we sent out to Lee. He loved the track. He did a, a few takes, I guess three or four takes. Vocals, we still hadn't met him by, by this point. He sent the vocals back to us. And he's just freestyling. So Lee's one of the only people, again, that, that has managed to make a career out of freestyling. He very rarely, apart from his two or three biggest songs, he'll never sing the same thing twice. Um, but so this is the format. His vocals came back in. We wanted to make it into more of a song structure. So we cut those three or four takes up and made a little story. And then we added in our chorus vocals based around what he'd been freestyling about. Um, we spent hundreds and hundreds of hours on this track because we knew it was a special thing that we that had landed in our laps just by by chance basically, and we wanted to, to do something special with it. So we finished the track, and then we were talking to Lee's manager, who's also his wife, um, asking about the potential to get together to make a video because Lee was on tours, tours in the UK, did tour in the UK quite a lot um, and all over the place. But we were trying to see if we could meet up at some point during his, his, uh, his tour. So we're in Glasgow and Scotland, I guess most listeners, I don't know where most of your listeners are from, but Lee had a day off in a place called Brighton, which is right on the south coast of England. So that would have been an eight-hour eight drive or something like that. So we drove down through the night, turned up at the hotel. We didn't know what time Lee was going to be turning up. Um, if, and we scouted the area for locations. And we spoke to the hotel about hiring out a function room because we weren't sure if we'd be able to take Lee outside. He's quite a big deal in Brighton. Because um, one of these arty places, everyone knows who he is. Um, Eventually, basically, Lee got there. He can't go outside, so we hire out this um, room. And for two hours, and basically for an hour and a half, we meet Lee, he comes in, we're really excited, and, and it's kind of like we're jumping around with cameras. We know, we know from the things we've seen about Lee that you can't really tell him what to do. He's a total freestyler. For the first hour and a half, He's just doing these rituals. So that involves like drawing things, candles, water. Um, and Eugene had brought down this little red box. He didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen with it. We just knew that it was this quirky thing and Lee was going to like it. So as Lee's like drawing on the ground, you'll see in the video, if you look up uh, Zanz and Lee Scratch Perry Repentance Song, there's scenes where he's just drawing on the ground and as he's doing it, like Eugene's just kicking the box little by little, slowly towards him. <laughs> Eventually he picks it up and starts playing with it and he notices right away that as soon as you touch it, like the light starts flashing. Yeah. So he loved that. Yeah. He starts playing with the box and we're, we're in a panic, you know, just running around him trying to make sure we get everything right. And um, after an hour and a half, he... Um, sits down in this chair between these plants that we've laid out for him. It looks like a throne and he holds up this lighter and he lights it. And it was like, boom, the end of the ritual. And yeah. Eugene and I both start shouting, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's amazing. Cause it was an incredible energy. Like yeah. something special happened. Yeah. You know, we're, we're thinking we've hired this place out for two hours and we're not even going to get the shots that we want, but amazing. So out. after this ritual, Eugene kind of had, definitely bonded with him more than I had and uh, went up to him and said, hey, Lee, would you just mind um, passing us the box? And Because we didn't know what the box was going to turn into, as I said, but we knew he wanted them to pass us this box. So he said, yes, I'll pass the box. I, can't, I better not do impressions but because um, I'm rubbish at it. <laughs> but he passed the box and um, 
he's sitting in this chair. We're sat like alongside the chair and he passes the box. Now you can't hear this in the video because the song's playing. Because I now present to you the box of whatever he called the box and he gave it to us, gave us the box. And we're like, oh my God, like acting up a bit. Um, it turns out one of the cameras wasn't running properly. So Eugene said, Ellie, would you mind uh, just, would you mind just doing that again, please? A little bit sheepishly, he says, yeah, I'll do it again. And he's like, even more the second time, you know, he was loving it. I now pass you the box of blah, 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 and like gives us his box, and that was great. So basically the box then became a character. We wanted to tell the story. Um, we started, started in Bamako, Mali. Um, we are from Glasgow. Eugene lives just down the road in a village called Broughton. Um, Marco also lives half a year in Vobia in Italy. Lee's from Jamaica. He now lives in Switzerland. Like all these locations, we were chasing the box. So that's how all these locations were chosen. It was based on the actual real story uh, of where this song came from. <laughs> and uh, without giving it any spoilers, um, the music video is kind of like a short superhero story. And this box is carrying the powers that is bestowed upon well, you'll need to watch it to figure out exactly see who these powers are bestowed upon and what those powers are. Very wonderful. Now, one of the things you said about um, recording your vocals, um, you and Eugene uh, put down the the chorus vocals, and you said that the way that you wrote the vocal melody and the work words were completely different from how you've ever done that before, and I thought that was quite interesting. Can you tell us about that? Sure. It was all about phonetics. So we knew what the message was. We wanted every syllable to flow into the next syllable very naturally. So, you know, sometimes you're trying to say a phrase and it's even just a tiny bit of a tongue twister mm. and it doesn't flow. We wanted it like the, the phonetics to be so simple that like maybe a four-year-old or five-year-old could mm. say them, even if, even if you didn't, even if they didn't know what, what it meant. So it was all about the phonetics. We've never written um, lyrics for the phonetics before. It's even changing a word like before to previously, you know, that's a huge difference. That's mm -hmm. just a really simple example. But uh, it, was, uh, it was all like that. Sorry, there was also the... keywords. We, yeah. we knew we wanted water. We wanted something to do with water, something to do with fire, something to do with Babylon and yes. Zion. You know, from uh, reggae music, in the Rastafarian culture, Babylon is the kingdom of slavery and Zion is the kingdom of freedom, freedom. basically. And I think your phonetic worked because it is like, if I ever have hear your tune, I always have the chorus running in my head and repeat for, for days afterwards. But it's not one of the those things where it's like, oh, it's so annoying, I can't get that tune out of my head it's like it's like I'm grooving to it when I'm walking down the street so with a, a good lyric does that right yeah. like it, it inspires that in your head kind of sort of this like sunesis of you know a high that that you get from your brain which is pretty cool uh, do you think that that like the the ideas you know that come from of course the Rastafarian religion and but with have to do with um the colonialism and and of the the islands. I've noticed, it seems in mine, this may be just anecdotal, but being in the States, um, that there seems to be a much greater love of reggae in Britain. Um, I, I know that there's still a lot of, like, there's a lot of reggae here, but there seems to be a particular connection with that. And I wonder if that's sort of the history intertwined with, with British colonialism. I don't know. I mean, I know that um, it was Island Records that signed Bob Marley, and who's obviously the biggest reggae star of all time, and they were based in London. Mm -hmm. I guess a lot of the, as you mentioned already, a lot of the English uh, punk bands started fusing elements of reggae. Um, so I don't know exactly. Yeah. Is It seems to me that like reggae is probably the best example of why cultural appropriation in my mind anyways is a bunch of tribe because uh 
you know, that, that's, that's, you wouldn't have reggae if you didn't have this merging of cultures and borrowing from each other and sort of to create this whole new thing that's even, you know, this amazing new art form that has, has been so transformative. So I don't know, that's just, that's my opinion of it, but. Well, I don't really know um, the history of Jamaica too much outside of what I've seen in relation to reggae music. You know, I know Bob Marley tried to get politicians together and he put um, the two parties in a very awkward situation one time when he would invited them both up on stage and basically forced them to shake hands, you know, because <laughs> the conflict between the two sides in, in, um, in the UK might, might lead to a few nasty words, but in Jamaica it was, it was leading to gun violence. Yeah. Um, so that's hence all the, I, I really know about the, it. Hence the popularity of the term unity and well, <laughs> in, in Jamaican music. I'm always on the cynical side, you know, if, if I imagine in Jamaica there's, there's two parties um, that are opposing each other or, or any other country that's been colonized. In fact, the whole world's been colonized now, let's face it. The whole world's been colonized by this left-wing, right-wing system, okay? And normally one side of this has grown out of the, the country itself and the other side has been brought in by the Commonwealth or some sort of other international body. And that seems to escalate conflict. It brings in new ideas, new systems, new structures that don't necessarily suit cultures. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. If you look at um, any traditional um, native um, culture that has been integrated into a commonwealth system now as soon as let's take australian situation i'm not even going to use the word aboriginal because aboriginal means unoriginal but the the native people of australia they used to walk across the country this was part of their ritual i'm not saying they walked across the entire thing it was, called, it was called again walk walk about. About. now and this was to um achieve some sort of dream trance state as part of their ritual as soon as you fence off an area you say right this is a reservation this is your area you you cut off the soul of that culture mm -hmm. as soon as you take that freedom of movement away so yeah. <laughs> so what what's it going to be like if you bring in this kind of structure how are you going to see what the culture is really like if you've cut them off from their souls mm. Interesting. So, anyway, I don't know how I got into that. Apologies. No, but that's good because no, great. we we that's that's good. You're go you're going walkabout with your. <laughs> so I think. Oh, go on, go Sherry. Ahead. No, I was just going to say I think what what you're speaking to a lot is is the idea that um, you know the left and right, whereas as that is a it's a useful way to explain different people's ideas sometimes, but often it's just the 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 actual idea that there's a power and that these two sides are vying for it but they they both want to control people and that whether they're going to control them in in one way or another doesn't really matter it all cuts off the the individual's um ability to um, you know converge and be together and figure things out in their own way in whatever location they happen to be in so i think that's really true that it all that kind of outside influence on individuals in their local areas kind of stifles people from their yeah. innovation and ingenuity. I mean, I'm a hunter gatherer. All of a sudden I need to choose between these two different things. Anthony, can you close the door, man? I can hear shit going on. Sorry. Um, all of a sudden you've got, um, How do you like <laughs> I know, I know what's going on. I know, I know. Let's not talk about that. But <laughs> no, we you've don't got, talk you've about got that. a hunter-gatherer, all of a secret. sudden they've got to choose between two things that they never had to choose between before. And they've not got any other choice except to choose between two these two parties. Okay, there might be a third or fourth little party, but they're still part, it's still part of this new structure that's been superimposed and what over they, the surface of the land. What they disagree on is what they choose to define the debate by, whereas right. largely whichever of the main parties you vote for, all of the really consequential stuff, whether it was the foreign invasions or 
the bailouts or you name it, they agree fundamentally on the ba on their basic principles. Right. Um, and I think the left thing, right, right wing thing, I'm not going to say those distinctions are completely useless. They're not completely right. useless, but it's a way of like labeling, oh, oh, that's right wing or, oh, that's just some lefty bullshit. Like you, you can label something and then people have to decide whether they're for or against it without a careful consideration. Right. They can dismiss it once it has a exactly. label. They can sort of just dismiss it. So can you say a little bit about your politics and like, how would you describe yourself and how you, what's your journey from the politics you used to have to the politics you have now? Um, I basically used to have no politics. I didn't want to think about it. didn't want to talk about it. I cared about injustice. I um, started getting into hallucinogenic drugs a little bit. That put me on a spiritual path. And um, I guess at some point I got into this free man in the land, which is also sovereign citizen um, philosophy. I, I, I um, indulged myself in that for a good 18 or 18 months or two years. Just that's all I wanted to consume and basically came out, I guess what you'd call a minarchist, I think. Um, my main gripe with the system as it stands is that the police, and this is all over the world, the police and the court system have been usurped by the government. Okay, These are supposed to be separate departments. So whatever politics you call this, you know, a government party, a politician, has no more right to give a policeman an order than a citizen does than an individual does. Don't even know if I want to use the word citizen. Some people know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, the court system here, I'm not sure what it's like in the States there, Sherry, but basically they've created this tribunal system. So the tribunal system is for when a citizen has a disagreement with the government, but it, the whole thing is set up to remove the presumption of innocence, okay? And the tribunal system, it's assumed from the get-go that the government is right. So that means if there's some sort of statute that's passed and the department that that statute um, relates to has adhered to that statute, even in cases where the circumstances that that statute creates are entirely unfair and unjust, it doesn't matter as long as they've followed the thing the, the, the conditions that are laid out to them by that statute, by that act, the government are in the right. So I can't go in arguing, well, that statute's unfair because A, B, C, D, right? Mm -hmm. So that's just because the government has usurped the court system. The court system is supposed to be at least separate, if not above the government. Now we've got a, a system where, you know, you take any of these recent uh, wars that have been happening, where the courts have, the high courts have looked at them. It's kind of like the high courts kind of need to ask the government if it's okay that they look at these uh, illegal wars to what? see what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And that, like, the, where the hell has this come from? Yeah, the, the whole point was to have an independent judiciary. And I don't know about here, I don't know what, where that, I don't even know where the term independent judiciary derives from. I don't know if it was like enlightenment philosophers or it predates that, but I think it was definitely written into the American system. Yes. So people were observing this, you know, Thomas Jefferson or whatever and going, hey, that, that sounds like a pretty bloody good idea, actually. Uh, we should have an independent judiciary. Well, um, even prior to it being putting in writing, I mean, you'd basically have um, smaller versions of that same thing. Mm -hmm. Right, you wouldn't have some sort of special body to convene a judiciary. Small communities would rely on the people that they respected. Okay, sometimes there were uh, many dictators or not. Yeah, I can't say that that happened. didn't happen. Yeah. But essentially, it was a locally run thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't yeah. run by this overarching government that then can start writing laws that the courts have to obey. Right. It's always better when you have someone that you, if you're in a community 
and you're going to say deal out justice to an individual who's transgressed the community in some way it's always better to have someone that's your neighbor that has to look you in the face and say this is what you did or didn't do because as we all know when when things are removed from that even just sitting behind a computer where you can't see someone people are much more uh, aggressive and vile and violent mm -hmm. than they are when they have to be face to face so i think that's that's always a good thing and you know one of the things that i know is a matter of you know american jurisprudence anyways is jury nullification which they definitely try to hide and there's only one state um, in the country that I'm aware of and that's New Hampshire and it's due to the free state project there that they must tell you about jury nullification before they do it. And that is what you were talking about is where you don't just have the right to judge whether a person broke the law because that's what the, the law, the courts would like you to believe is that you're judging them according to not whether something's morally right, um, but whether or not they technically broke the law, but jury nullification says you have the right as jurors to decide whether the law is just itself. You're not just judging the person, you're judging the actual law. Right. So that's why it's so important, um, jury duty. And, and you know, to, to really have any sort of real justice, you'd have to get rid of the bail system, which is again, it's against the presumption of innocence. If, if they can detain you without trying you, then you know, and some people, I don't know about there, but here people sit in jail on bail for years at mm. times because they can't pay to get out. So it definitely favors uh, the wealthy. Um, and there, there are so many problems with the, with the, you know, injustice system as we like to call yeah. it. Yeah. And then there's our the, father. Go on, sorry. I was just going to say, then there's the thing of plea bargains where they basically scare yes. the shit out of people by saying, if you don't, uh, plead this. guilty to this charge, then we're going to charge you with all these other things, and you're going to spend a long ass like time in jail. So people just go, okay, okay, I'll confess to it, even if they didn't do it. And that the reason why they do that is because then they need to spend less money taking them through court and things like that. But I think one of the things is they create a system where you could be breaking the legal codes at any time without even knowing it. And they'll do yes. nothing to you until they fucking want to do something to you. And when they want to do something to you, they'll have plenty of excuses yeah. to. I always but like it, to explain it like a spider's web. The laws are a spider's web to catch you. And, and sometimes it doesn't get you and they don't care. But when they do care, they're going to bring everything yeah, and they'll exactly. have it all. You know, they have all that legislation or laws behind them in order to do it. So, Jonathan, you were going to say you were going to add something. Yeah, it's just our father. And when I, say, I don't mean our father in heaven, I mean <laughs> the father of me and Anthony um, uh, was was called for jury duty. And he told us that this is this this turned my stomach at the beginning of jury selection process. The judge was present and the judge told the jury how he or she believed that the law should be applied. Right. This is not supposed to happen. This is the opposite of you, what you were talking about, Sherry. I, I don't know. I don't quite know the stepping stones of, of how the, the justice system has come to this. But you asked me about my politics and that's the main thing. So whatever you'd call me now, basically I'm saying, right, a government should not be able to make laws for the court and the police, right? Mm -hmm. The police make their own rules and it's up to the courts to decide if the police have overstepped the mark. That would be the natural system to evolve from where we've come from. Some Somehow, some sort of malicious uh, interface has been put into that system where the governments now make laws that the courts and the police have to follow. And not only that, but everyone hell? thinks that, everyone tends to think that's legitimate. I mean, what else would you have government for other than to pass laws? Yeah. 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 It's centralized power. Centralized mm. power always, it gives people something to vie for to control other people that they don't like. Uh, yeah, and the, the more the government is allowed to make laws, the more is at stake when you go out and vote. And everyone hates each other because everyone is trying to force their way of life through the government onto everyone else. 
the um, the more of a role the government ha play has to play in making laws, you know. Um, I think people mostly agree on the the big ones, you know. Is at the risk of sounding cliched, you know, don't hit people, don't take their stuff, and you know, don't defraud or or you know, uh, people or you know, uh, you know, they see in the Bible they say bear false witness, which is different from lying. It's like, mm -hmm. um, you know, these are the things that pretty much most people agree are harmful. You don't really need um, reams and reams and reams mm -hmm. of legislation to get um, a court or police force that's going to enforce those it's any any laws like the the whole legal code is you need lawyers because it's very difficult and it's all these technicalities and the words mean something very specific yeah, and different. and so any law that is that comes that stems from a natural law should be very simple it shouldn't be yeah. that difficult um and and then you should only need judges to step in when it's a little more nuanced or there needs to be some sort of you know directive for someone to do something but yeah it should all be very very simple but it's it's convoluted for a reason yeah, for and that, sure. that's to make it inaccessible well yeah that whole uh, legalese thing that they basically wrote another language that looks like english it's not english and then they need to employ translators to interpret it but i can't think of any examples right now but i know when i was you know really um really uh studying laws and i was reading laws some laws reading statutes obviously there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them and there was let i could have maybe a couple of years ago literally run off examples for you of two statutes that contradict each other directly and you've got so many there, there were so many examples of this i wish i could think of one right now and basically it's at, at the basically it's at a policeman's discretion which if they want to apply one law or the other or not. And there's these things here called bylaws, which can be applied or not at discretion. Um, I would love to see a political party run on, you know, so many of these statutes are ridiculous and convoluted. We're going to remove 25% of these statutes. We're going to free up a whole bunch of money and we're going to make your life more fruitful more oh, free yeah. but the thing is jonathan you just want tons of deregulation so that big capitalists will be able to abuse people and do whatever they want that's exploitation that's all you want. you're just a paid shell of the bourgeoisie that's all that, this is is that my politics then <laughs> yeah I, it's it's interesting you mentioned earlier anthony that um you know, people believe this, they, be, they do believe the basics of don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. If you ask them in that way, if you ask them, you know, is it okay? Do you, do you think people should be left alone to, to live their lives and you know, uninhibited by government? They will agree with that. But then when you take it from that basic principle to, well, do you think people should be able to say smoke cannabis? Oh, well, no, I think it's very bad. And, 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 and then they do want to, so it's not about the simplicity of it. It's about, well, I don't like this. Yeah. So, you know, they get bogged down in issues. And I think that's where people like us are really good and, and needed because we bring people back to that. Well, you, you still don't, you might not like it, but you don't have a right to stop it. Right. Uh, that sort of, um, because they, they get confused by the issues when you don't have principles to stake yourself to. Of course, many years ago, um, people thought that uh, marijuana smokers, as a result of the media, the media are the worst, worst culprits at the moment, as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah. but as a result of the media, the people thought marijuana smokers were like what heroin users are today. They thought if you let people use marijuana, then there's going to be more break-ins and people are right. going to be robbed and burgled and... Right. It really um, comes from racism to like the, they're going to rape the white women, you know, reefer madness, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In, in this but, country anyways. And, and, yeah. I think one of the things is this um, monolithic centralization of power in this, in the state where they write the laws. And uh, one of the things is you, people don't like competition, but the fact is, it forces efficiency on entrepreneurs. So if um, Sherry manufactures the red widget and I manufacture the blue widget, and then Jonathan comes along and 
manufactures the purple widget, which mixes the best features of them both. We don't have a choice but to keep up, right? So the same with legal systems or systems of law. If you had this more decentralized thing, certain places and certain people would write the law better and more simply than other places. But because there is no like process of sieving out inefficiency when you have a monolithic system, um, it's like it just gets worse and worse. And you know what? It shouldn't be a matter of pride that the number of laws on the books increases every year. If anything, it should be like, wow, you know, we really simplified that um, those that big massive 10,000, those 10,000 pages of laws down to just 500 pages. Yeah, we've sure done a, a, good, a good job. Um, it would, and if there was this more organic um, bottom up approach, I think that sort of thing would be unavoidable, you know, just floating that out there. Yeah, you're reminding me of when we talked about patents the other week. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Tell tell a story. Uh, do you want to say anything about your your innovation? Yeah, don't, I don't want to mention the 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 F word. Right. You know what I mean, the company. But um, I'm basically designing uh, a guitar pedal at the moment. You certainly are a polymath. So, and my plan is to shop this. So, I've got a whole bunch of unique features in there that that have never been seen before for this particular kind of device. And I know- Before you go on, before you go on, I just want to mention to everyone, like one of the things that Jonathan does is he goes touring, playing as a solo musician, but he's got all this technology, like he made this pedal board, he uses a loop station, like some people do, but, and he's got a little synth. And so he can build up a whole soundscape and he can like double track his voice what so he gets harmonies in there while he's playing live and and, and that that's I, I presume is how you learned uh, you knew what was needed in an excellent yeah. um pedal station because you live it yeah um go look up a uh, jono teenage dirtbag cover that's probably right. the most popular one to see what that's about um but yeah basically these devices enable one person to record things as you said and build up backing tracks actually live. We're not talking about pre-recorded backing tracks. So mm. um, no. so the de device I'm, I'm designing is along these kind of lines. And I know that the trademark and the patent or patent, however you say office, are the same office because I've, I've bought a couple of trademarks before. Now these unique features might be patentable, might not be patentable. But Anthony, I were going for a walk in the park the other day and we're talking about this situation and what would happen, right? So let's say I take one of these features that I've designed and I try and lodge a patent for this feature. So at this point, I can't remember if it's 30 days or 60 days or six months, whatever it is, there's a certain window where this patent application is public. That's so that anyone that has an objection can, can say, oh no, well, you can't patent this because we believe we've done something like this, or they'll come up with something like, so basically, I'm, a, I'm one person funding myself, designing this product. I lodge a patent. Now one of the big pedal manufacturers sees this, and they hire a lawyer or they may, may have a team of lawyers because a lot of these pedal manufacturers are actually um, under the umbrella of a bigger corporation. Um, they've got a team of lawyers, let's say, who try and challenge this patent. Now, if that didn't happen, it would just go through. I pay a few hundred pounds or a few hundred dollars. All of a sudden, I need to get a lawyer to argue with their lawyer in front of the patent office about whether this patent should go through. I can't afford that. Right. Right. And right. then they have your ideas as well. Yes. <laughs> they have the idea as well. But um, when I was talking to Anthony about this, he was saying that people seem to think patents are good for the little man. Yes. 
I was saying, I was saying one of the main reasons why people argue for patents is specifically, well, you know, what if some little inventor comes up with something and then a big corporation just comes in and copies it? It's not fair. They just like stole the little guy's idea. But the system itself, rather than privilege the little guy, is actually privileging the corporation because they've got the power to fight this legal war. Not only that, they're obliging you to make your technology um, open source. When yeah. you lodge it with the patent office, anyone can see the work that you've created and copy it. Whereas if they couldn't, if you were working in a clandestine way, then they'd have to reverse engineer the technology themselves. They wouldn't just be able to copy it right out. I know in some fields, rather than others, that's easy sometimes to reverse engineer something. And, and if it's a medication, that might take two or three years to re reverse engineer. It just really depends. So uh, that, was, that was something that I wish we'd had a conversation before our conversation with Stephen Kinsella, because I could have chucked that in. But that was definitely very interesting to me. Well, this is another example, okay, of government usurping the court system. The governments have created this whole system of trademarks and patents, right? I'm sure it's generating a lot of wages for a lot of extra bureaucrats that were not needed before, right? I steal an idea from you, right? Now I go in front of a judge and jury. Why do we need the patent and trademark law? to decide if I really have actually stolen something. Yeah. I was a pioneer. They stole my idea. <laughs> we, used to, we, used to have a, we used to have an idea for a, a song that went like that. That's why no one else is in on the it joke. Put that robot voice. I yeah, want to the idea here, they stole my idea. idea. If anyone wants the lyrics that I wrote for it, I'll, I'll, I'll post them up for you. But don't steal them. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you do steal them, at least make it into a good song, right? Don't make it shite. Please, pattern yeah. my voice. It's really it has you what you're talking about though. It has been sold to people as a protection for the little guys. I was just talking with this this man I date. Um, he's a musician and and his you know Wait, you, on you're dating people. someone else, Sherry. This is the first I've heard. Heartbroken Sorry. live on air. What the fuck? You're so far away. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> Mama has needs, okay? Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's really very difficult. And I used to be a photographer. Um, still am amateur now, but uh, you know, I, it's it's very difficult for people to understand that these a lot of these laws are not really to protect the the little guy like you said they're it's like with environmental laws people think oh they're going to protect the environment not really they're they're telling the corporations and their cronies how much they can pollute yeah, yeah. that's what they're telling them it's like you can do yeah. this much bad before uh, we'll yeah. jump on you as long as you give us this payoff you know to get your little exactly. license to pollute so it's yeah. sort of the same thing mm -hmm. for sure so anything else you'd like to add before we start to wrap up the show it can be as random as you want do we have to start? Well, I don't feel I've spoken to Sherry enough. I don't really know <laughs> what's going on. Like when I was talking about the tribunal system, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested to know if you use that word in the States. Do you have a tribunal system? Um, I think they only refer to tribunals as far as the military goes. Okay. That's the All tribunal right. system that okay. it, I'm not that familiar, but that's the only instance I've really heard it called that. Okay. So, so I don't know if it's different. Here we've got a tribunal system for like small things like parking tickets, you know, oh, okay. or, or dropping litter, you know. So let's say you get a fine. It's basically for these fines, small fines that are issued. If you want to, they use the word appeal against that, um, you need to go into the, you don't go to court, you go to the tribunal system. And this hmm. is the government's own internal system. I actually had something really, really interesting. I had an interesting conversation with a member of parliament for the constituency next door um, in regards to parking, parking fines. And she, so the constituency where I live, the area where I live is called East Renfrewshire Council. Okay. Um, and then if you get a parking fine that's issued by 
East Renfrewshire Council parking enforcement. Okay, so this MP basically said to me, if I set up a here on the phone, I wish I was recording it because I can't believe she told me this. I'd already suspected it from the Freeman Sovereign stuff. But she said to me, look, if I open a hairdresser's and I call that hairdresser's East Renfrewshire Council hairdresser's, that doesn't mean that that hairdresser's has anything to do with East Renfrewshire Council. And I paused and says, you know, I can't believe you're, you're saying this to me. It is, that's the way it is. She's basically saying that we have a private system masquerading mm -hmm. as a government system, okay? Right. Which I believe all governments or corporations nowadays, essentially anyway, are, are um, crony corporations, let's say. So then I spoke to another councillor in my constituency. I called up the office. And I was speaking to him about, about the situation with parking, because I've got a parking situation I won't get into. But basically, I'm told, I can't use my own land, right? <laughs> so I spoke to this other uh, government councillor down the road about the situation. And he said, parking in East Renfrewshire has been decriminalised, okay? I said, oh, so does that mean it's now a, a civil matter? He said, yes said, so does that mean East Renfrewshire Council parking is, is a private is a private entity? And he goes, oh, uh, um, well, well, uh, all I can say is that everyone that, that works for East Renfrewshire Council parking is, has been hired by East Renfrewshire Council. Yeah, it sounds a little shady. It's, it's, it's the same, it's sort of the, the blurring of the lines between government and, and business, we have that here in the fines system. So if you, if you go, you get a fine, you go and you, it, it, it's more than you can pay. They will, the fines aren't paid to the, the local government. They're paid to a company that is paid by or hired by the government to collect the fines. Yep. So when you, I, I, I read an article and watched this video of this older poor woman. She, she had had like a, $500 fine or something. It was too much. She couldn't pay it at once. So every time she went to pay the fine, so much of it went to the company because of course the government isn't paying them. It went to the company for just the fact that they were collecting it. And, and she ended up over time because it kept accruing and she kept getting more added to it because she couldn't pay it off that it, this $500 fine turned into thousands of dollars. Like it's, right. it's a way to fleece people. It really is, is terrible. And I, there's there's so much of that. I mean, the whole licensure system here. I don't I don't know how licensure. I'm sure they have licenses in your part of the world, but here the licensure system grew out of being you know keeping minorities from entering the workforce and competing with with whites. That's what it started as. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't know the history of these things and how they really go to to hurt people, not to help them, and they become institutions after a while, and people just accept it. And it like they accept that these people are. They get a fine and they, they pay it and then it's done. And that's, that's absolutely not how it works. I just wanted to know what happens in the States if you get a fine and you think that for some reason it was issued incorrectly or issued unfairly. It depends. I guess it depends. So the police officer can write you a ticket and there might, I'm not quite sure how, how it may okay. work. Um, okay if the judge orders the fine or if the there's a fine associated with the ticket. Okay. Um, like for, for traffic stops, say traffic tickets, you can go and you can, um, you get, you get a court date when you get your ticket or you get a court date when you go and okay. call them to get it. And then you can, you can show up. And a lot of times they're dismissed if you show up because the cop doesn't show up. Um, but I'm not quite sure how that, how that goes with fines. Okay. I've never had one. So, so here, here the cop, uh, in this case, East, East Renfrewshire Council doesn't need to. I guess that's a slight difference. But Does I was curious. I'm sorry. It, it, so it, here uh, in the UK, um, the COP, or in this case, East Renfrewshire Council, doesn't need to show up. Okay. They don't even need to. No. Yeah. It's just assumed that they're correct. You need to prove that they're wrong. Oh. Yeah. Right. Proven negative. <laughs> yeah. Right.
Sounds like civil asset forfeiture. <laughs> um, I guess that wasn't really much of a random thought because Anthony asked me if I had some sort of random thing I wanted to bring up before we close. Or, or not random. I just well, wanted to know if you wanted to add anything. It was random. I'm just you just actually, wanted to talk to me, that's all. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to lengthen <laughs> the conversation. Okay. Yeah. Is that is that your flirting technique with Sherry to talk about the to talk about um I think you were just saying like, you know, her parking's fine. Um anyway, that's pretty Sherry's, tenuous. Sherry can park anywhere Here. she likes. I know. <laughs> and she, I'll back it up. <laughs> ta- talking about talking about fine. She is. <laughs> wow. I think it's uh, Sherry. We're getting a little bit of friendly brotherhood competition yeah. here. I I, I'm, I'm catnip to the Semper Off. We're off, off, off our market competition yeah. and, uh, <laughs> on the Scottish Liberty podcast. Is that how it works? I mean... So, so <laughs> on that cheerful note, find Jonathan, meandmyguitar.com. You can check out Repentance Song. Yeah, check out zanzajams.com as well. Zanzajams.com. A repentance Song, great to watch it on YouTube because you can watch the excellent video that my brother spent forever editing. So don't make that, don't be that guy. Don't make that work go to waste. Why would you do that to him? You'd have to be a horrible human being not to watch the Zanza video. Share the show with your friends, your music-loving friends. And until next time, yeah, enjoy whatever stage of reverse lockdown you're enjoying. And also a special thank you to Sherry for co-hosting this. Yeah, thanks so much, Sherry. Thank you. It was great. Thanks for having me. It was always always fun to hang out with you. (laughs) Always fun to hang out.